Welcome, everybody. This is Mankabal Sachdev. I'm your host for the Interventional Endoscopist podcast. And today I am uh, doing another interview. And I have the pleasure and the honor to introduce uh, Dr. G.S. Raju out of MD Anderson, Houston, um, to, to the, the audience. Um, Dr. Raju, um, I met him for the first time when I was a medical resident. Um, he was walking through uh, I believe it was ACG. I was there with my mentor, VK Sharma, and we were presenting a poster, and I was just standing there, and he stopped by, and we had a conversation. And then periodically throughout my career, I've met him at different conferences and had the opportunity to be taught by him at the video GIE course when I was just about to enter my therapeutic endoscopy year. Um, so that's how I, I know him. Um, the reason that I wanted to talk to him today was I wanted to talk to him a little bit about um, this new course that he's developed that helps train endo technicians. And so before we get into that, I'd like to introduce Dr. Raju to everybody here. And here he is on the screen. Um, so Dr. Raju, welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Mankaval. It's good to see you. Uh, first of all, I want to congratulate you for doing this uh, podcast. Thank you. Uh, you know, as physicians, we keep uh, focusing on taking care of patients, but there are so many other things we can do for fun and to keep us from burning out. Absolutely. And that's kind of one of the motivations of me doing this as well. So, <laughs> um, but before we start talking about the program, can we uh, get a few, a little bit about your, uh, your background, um, a, a little bit about where you grew up, how you ended up as a physician, how you ended up in uh, the U.S., maybe just kind of give us a very brief uh, kind of overview of who Dr. What made Dr. Raju who he is today? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about that, but I'll tell you. Uh, I was uh, born in India, uh, South India, in the uh, fertile districts of uh, Godavari Basin uh, on the East Coast. And uh, I come from a family of physicians. Uh, I'm a third generation physician and I grew up, uh, uh, I'm named after my grandfather who was the first batch student of my medical college, Andhra Medical College. And uh, after doing my med school, uh, I went to Chandigarh, uh, that is uh, PGI Chandigarh, one of the uh, great institutions for training for young uh, medical professionals uh, located in the North India and uh, where I had probably the best training uh, that I could think about and uh, meeting so many brilliant people there. And following my medicine training, uh, I came down to Delhi to do my gastroenterology training at uh, GB Pant Hospital as part of the Delhi University. And uh, that was in 1989. And uh, from the beginning, I wanted to pursue a career in academic medicine. And at that time, there were not many opportunities for an academic job. You know, you have to go through a state exam. And unless you do that, you're not going to get a job. So right around that time, my mentor, uh, Dr. Bhupinder Singh Anand, uh, he was my mentor. He, you know, yeah. he trained. Uh, he trained in Oxford. Uh, he did his DPhil from Oxford, and uh, he was very kind to write a letter of reference to Dr. Karnadev Bharadhan, uh, Dr. Chindu Bharadhan. He is known as Chindu Bharadhan. So, and that opportunity gave me uh, uh, the opportunity to go to England and work with Dr. Bharadhan. Uh, Dr. Bharadhan is. Uh, probably one of the finest gastroenterologists, researchers, and uh, human being that you can meet. And uh, he was a Rhodes Scholar from India. And uh, he worked in a very small district general hospital. But he was a passionate uh, researcher uh, in a district hospital. He probably uh, trained more than a dozen PhDs. Uh, from a district general hospital, and he was the first one to do the symmetry in trial for peptic ulcer. And then all the work that we think about, all the PPIs and everything that we know about now, 
came from his uh, place, uh, Rotherham District General Hospital. So I worked with him for two years as a registrar and then a research registrar. And uh, that's where I think uh, I learned how to think outside the box. Uh, you know, sometimes when you see a mentor, uh, uh, he influences you. And uh, he made a huge influence on my life. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away just uh, last month. Uh, something, you know, I, I wish uh, people had an opportunity to meet him. He was one of the first physicians of Indian origin to be recognized by the Queen with the Order of the British Empire. So, uh, amazing personality. So then, uh, uh, in England, it's not easy to find a job in a, in a, a major London hospital. Uh, uh, despite doing your membership. So I decided to come to this country and uh, Dr. Bardhan was kind enough to write a beautiful letter that actually uh, opened my path to the Cleveland Clinic. So that's where I did my training. And the uh, clinic was very kind to me. Uh, it did not ask me to do three years. So I was <laughs> in two years. <laughs> right? And then I was also lucky enough to be the last batch of GIs who could finish their GI training in two years. Instead of <laughs> so so that's uh, I went to University of Iowa where I trained. And then um, I said to myself, I came here thinking that I'll become a liver transplant guy. Okay. But uh, along the way, I think uh, I said to myself, I'm not the best uh, fit for that uh, job. So I decided to do therapeutic endoscopy at uh, Beth Israel. Uh, right. My mentors were Ram Chutani and uh, Irving Waxman. Uh, and then later on, Dr. Doug Plesko. So uh, it was a journey. And then uh, it's, uh, the, it's interesting, right? I finished uh, when there were not many jobs. In 1998, when you look in the New England Journal, not many jobs. That was the time when Bill Clinton decided to make everybody as a primary care physician. So everybody wanted to become a primary care physician and subspecialists were worried about recruiting anybody. Yeah, yeah. So I came to this country with only one goal, that is to be in academic medicine. And that's, uh, you know, uh, I don't think I would be a fit in any other type of practice. Uh, so I was fortunate enough to be recruited by Dr. Richard McCallum. Uh, the one who's very well known for gastroparesis uh, work and gastric pacing. Yes, done some time in New Orleans. Yeah. Yes, yes, and he was kind enough to recruit me to Kansas, and uh, that's where I started my career as a young faculty member. Right. So, uh, in Kansas, it was a lot of clinical work. You know, sometimes it's good to do a lot of clinical work after you finish your training, so that you feel com confident about yourself with your skill set. And uh, I was missing academic work because when you're doing too much clinical work, you don't have time to do academic work. So, so around that time, uh, Jay Pashrika uh, uh, or Panka Jay Pashrika uh, offered me a job in uh, Galveston, UTMB, and I moved to Texas in 2001. And I really had a fun time in Galveston. You know, and uh, Jay was kind enough to mentor me, uh, given his background in research. You know, Jay has done a lot of work in uh, echelasia, right, from Botox to Poem, uh, all that great work. And uh, he mentored me, and uh, we had fun. You know, most of the work we done in Galveston was how to close perforations, all the basic uh, experimental work. Mm -hmm. uh, I think. Uh, I had a lot of fun in Galveston because it uh, gave me a lot of freedom to do work uh, in addition to clinical work. And I was uh, very fortunate to meet uh, uh, Peter Kelsey and uh, Brenna, Brenna right. Baum. Uh, we started the, vi the video editing uh, scholarship program. You know, you were part of that. Yeah, yeah. No, benefited from it big time. So yeah, it was fun. It was fun to do that. And then that <laughs> translated into the uh, video GIE later on. Right. And uh, then, uh, you know, life uh, 
it's very interesting. You know, I'm hearing about your family and the effects of partition, of yeah. Indian partition, how families, you know, suddenly one day you everything is going well and another day you are up and about and starting right. a life, a new life. So for me, that was uh, Hurricane Ike. Uh, right. When Hurricane Ike came to Galveston, Galveston was underwater, almost six feet. Hospital was uh, submerged uh, underwater with at least six feet of water in the in the ground floor. Mm -hmm. One day I was coping, next day, no work. <laughs> so, <Yes. laughs> you understand how life uh, takes yeah. us. Time. So yeah. then I moved to MD Anderson. I think uh, Dr. Mendelssohn and uh, Dr. John Stoline was the chief. Dr. Mendelssohn was the president. And uh, Dr. Mendelssohn was very kind to recruit a lot of people from Galveston because Galveston was not doing well. So they had to let go a lot of people. Right. And uh, Dr. Mendelssohn was kind enough to recruit. I'm one of those uh, beneficiaries. Uh, it's uh, it's an interesting to see this uh, journey. And I've been at Anderson for now 14 years, since 2009. It's a... Uh, when you think about it, uh, you know, I think it's very important to keep in mind in life, we are all given a set of cards to play with. Right. And uh, God uh, God gives you a set of cards and then he watches, you know, uh, how do you play with those cards? And, uh, and uh, at different points, you may have to reinvent yourself to survive or, or to have a meaningful uh mean to spend your time meaningfully so at anderson i started the colon polyprosection program and on the side i was doing other projects so that's my story, <laughs> that's <laughs> so story. no it's a great story i mean it's you know the perseverance that you know to go from it, it's hard to move from cities but to you know leave part of your family behind to go to another country and then you know having your family move with you as well those things i think it, it highlights perseverance but it also highlights support you know that you have um, a steady support system that have helped you do that in the sense that you know people were backing you know family and everything like that so that, that's always really important i think that's that's just very admirable so yeah, I, th I think I want to mention here, I was married when I was in my third year medical school. <laughs> so really? my put up with me for, I don't I know, for nearly 40 years. <laughs> oh my God. Crazy journey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, no, that's, yeah, that's, if I was my third year, I would have been 22. That was probably, yeah, I mean, we did a few years, but yeah. Um, okay, so let's dive into the program, um, the, the uh, endotech training program. I think, um, I'll let you talk about it, but I, what I understood is that this came from a need, and I think COVID for us in in Arizona really highlighted this need, and and, and we got an opportunity to speak about it last year at DDW. Um, but you know, one thing that we faced was when we try to hire endo technicians, their salaries aren't the greatest, and they're not certified. And surgical technicians who come to endo can make four or five, sometimes even $10 more an hour, at least in our area. And I've had endotechs legitimately quit because they made more money and better benefits working at McDonald's or Chick-fil-A. And we lose good people all the time. So I, you know, keeping and retaining technicians was always a problem. And then I heard about this program that you uh, developed with your team. So just please go ahead and dive into it. So I, I think the, uh, I want to take one step back. Okay. Uh, that is uh, 1986. After I finished my medicine uh, training in PGI, I worked with a gentleman by name Jung Delavery. Uh, you know, he 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 worked at uh, Central Middlesex uh, with uh, Dr. Peter Cotton, and then he returned to India. He was the first one to do. ERCP, sphincterotomy, and stone extraction in India. Wow. Right. So we, a lot of us were excited to work with him. So I started my one year of uh, what we call a registrar job with him before I went and did my GI training in Delhi. So it's interesting. 
he taught me basics of endoscopy. And before he taught me basics of endoscopy, he asked uh, his assistant, uh, the head assistant, or a head technician, as you call. Uh, he told me, Raju, you're going to spend time with him, and you're going to clean about 10 scopes. And once he says yes, then I let you uh, hold the scope. <laughs> so uh, I still remember uh, that is uh, Mr. Hakikat Singh. And the Hakikat Singh uh, uh, showed me how to clean the scope. And uh, you will be surprised to know this. At that time, we used to take the needle catheters, that injection needle, cut the needle, and then put it into the plastic catheter, put glue, and, uh, and, uh, and seal it, and create our own injection catheters. Mm. So, you know, right nowadays, you know, everything comes uh, ready made. You know, yeah, 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 yeah. You're in injection catheters. Yeah. So, I appreciated the importance of a technician, the role of a technician, uh, and uh, the need for having a good technician or an assistant to do the procedures well. And uh, when I first joined Kansas, and, uh, and uh, it's one thing that we don't realize, throughout our careers, uh, as we become from medicine to gastroenterology and learning endoscopy, we may forget this, but it's important to appreciate when we are making those baby steps, it is not just our endoscopy mentor who's teaching, but the senior technician in the lab is also helping us to learn. You know, you may have noticed that, you know. They, yeah, yeah. they actually let you, they help you learn, but they also help, uh, I think, protect you without your knowledge <laughs> from the onslaught of your boss. <laughs> No, I, I actually tell my therapeutic fellows um, that when you get the scope taken away, your job is to hang out with a technician, uh, watch what I'm doing, but watch what they're doing, learn what they're doing, because you, wherever you go, you may have to teach somebody how to do a stent deployment or something along those lines. So I actually make them spend a little bit of time with the technician at the beginning of their fellowship, So because yes. they have so much to teach them and to learn from them. Yes, for sure, for sure. And... Uh, so when I first joined my job in Kansas, an interesting thing happened. Uh, when I first joined, I joined as a fresh out of fellowship, uh, although this is not my first fellowship, <laughs> fellowship. All the endoscopy staff at KU left, except for one nurse and one technician, everybody left. Wow. So I had to hire nurses. And I had to hire technicians and train them from scratch. Okay. So, so that was a very interesting experience, right? You know, you you and I had to bring them into my room, make sure that they have learned the skills before they were allowed to work with anybody, because right. otherwise you have uh, so much of turnover, and I had no turnover. Um, so, but it's also I also wondered, right? Why is that when you are working in a university center? Sometimes patients get referred to you, and then your fellow actually is able to take care of the patient under your supervision. And the patient actually came from a very well-trained gastroenterologist, right? right? I just wonder why is that, right? You know, I never thought about it, but I wondered why is that? You know, you could have taken care of it. Why did the patient come here and the, th the third-year fellow or the advanced fellow was able to do the procedure? Right, and my uh, uh, eye-opening experience was after Ike, we started practicing in a community hospital on a weekend, mm -hmm. and the community hospital did not allow the UTMB nurses and technicians to come and work there. We had to work with the community hospital team. Right, and that's when I realized the support structure is not the best. Absolutely. have the best technician, you don't feel comfortable with cutting polyps or doing anything. And uh, that stayed with me. And one, uh, and but I didn't uh, pursue that. You know, I moved to Guy Anderson and then I was struggling to get myself uh, settled down. 
and do the start the work. And then in 2015, I suddenly wrote a letter to the chancellor of Houston Community Colleges, uh, Dr. Cesar Maldonado, on a weekend from my Gmail account. And my pitch was, surgeons operate in the operating room, and they don't operate without a trained surgical tech. Surgical techs go through two years of training. Right. And in the last 30, 40 years, endoscopy replaced surgery, whether it's bleeding control, stone removal, polyp removal, whatever. I gave him examples. And I said, we don't have uh, technicians that go through formal training. They learn on the job. And how about starting a program? And uh, I didn't know Dr. Maldonado, and he didn't know me. <laughs> and it's interesting. I, I sent an email not from my MD Anderson email account. I sent him from my Gmail account. Right. And uh, you know, I've sent so many emails to so many people, whether it's a UT or Rice University faculty, uh, you know, pitching ideas. But didn't have much luck. But this one, the email came back within 48 hours. Yeah. And he said, I recruited Dr. Phil Nicotera to the Houston College, Community College in the Medical Center. Let me introduce you to him. Okay. So that was very kind that he responded, right? You know, right, right, absolutely. You, yeah. you, can, you can pitch, but doesn't matter. Yeah, well, I think a lot of people, when they get the random Gmail account, they're thinking it's a prince from Nigeria trying to offer you a bank account full of a million dollars, right? So, yeah, it's true, it's true, it's true. It's true. <laughs> uh, I actually did not know in the medical center where the community college was located. <laughs> So you know that you know you know we are we are no more different from the Babylonian dogs. We we get up, we get into the car, go to the hospital, do the cases, and then get go home. You know. Yeah, exactly. So I had to look in the map and figure out where the place was, and then I walked to the community college, in a, in a, I think it's somewhere sometime in May or June, hot summer, and uh, I met Dr. Nikitara. And uh, Dr. Nikitara, he is probably one of the best people I worked with. Uh, interesting thing is, he was a pediatrician by training and practiced pediatrics for a long time and then developed his interest in education and he became the president of a community college. Wow. Yeah. Right? So it's very easy to talk, talk, discuss with him, you know. Right, right. You can speak the same language on many. Right, and you can you can feel the pain. Right. <laughs> so, uh, doctor, I told Doctor Nikitora that uh, around that time I was working on the video GIE, so I could show him, hey, you know, this is some of the work we have done, and uh, so that he takes me a little more seriously. <laughs> you understand? Right. What I mean? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So, so I actually left uh, him with one thing. I said, I want you to do your own research. And if you think it is uh, worthwhile, uh, we are here to work together and make it possible. Right. So, Dr. Nikitera, I think he took me a little bit seriously. And he went out and uh, reached out to all the nurse managers in the medical center. And they all said, we want a trained technician yesterday. Because <laughs> you know that one of the biggest things, uh, or one of the things that a nurse manager worries about is when a technician comes and knocks at their door and says, I'm leaving, they cannot replace. Right. It takes <laughs> You know, unless you snatch somebody for a higher amount of money from your adjacent hospital, you cannot replace. There's no pipeline. <laughs> so, yeah. so I think uh, I give all credit to Dr. Nicotera because, you know, with uh, the blessings of Dr. Maldonado, the chancellor of the community college, uh, they said, hey, let us start an advisory group. Okay. Okay. We started as an advisory group, and then I reached out to all the endoscopists in the medical center and all the nurses and technicians in the medical center. 
and said, let us start an advisory group. But if you go to a community college and you say that you want to start a brand new program, right? there's no program like that. Or there was a couple of programs, one on the East Coast and maybe one somewhere else. And they tried to reach out and they did not respond. Mm -hmm. They didn't respond. They, you know, even community college president's office reached out, they didn't respond. So when you don't have access to anything else, what community colleges do is they do what is called DECAM, development of a curriculum. Okay. And that's a project they have to do. And uh, what is DECAM? So they what they did was they brought 10 technicians uh, from five different facilities in the medical center, two from each, right? Mm -hmm. MD Anderson to Methodist, uh, Memorial Harman, uh, HCA hospitals, and then some ambulatory surgical centers, 10 technicians. Okay. And they assigned two of their educators from the community college. Right. One is an associate dean and the other one was running the program. And mm -hmm. what they said was they met for 16 hours for two days. And they said, please tell us what do you do from the time you clock in to clock out? OK. So they kept writing everything. Right. You know, they say we come in, we set the scope. Right. Or we clean the scope or we do this or electrosurgery or infection control. Everything that the technician does, they started uh, noting down. And uh, after uh, two days, they said, we are surprised that there is no training program. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and they were actually shot. And uh, they sent uh, that whole material as a report to the community college president. And the president said, hey, I think uh, this is something we should do. So we started this advisory group. And uh, you know, it's very hard for endoscopists who are working, you know, long hours to take time off, right? And right. go to the community college for an hour to hour and a half to uh, be part of this advisory group to come up and develop a program from scratch. And what we did was we said. Let us have an advisory group of endoscopists, nurses, technicians, and industry partners. Right. So we wanted everybody to be part of that, along with the community college leadership. Right. And uh, several, I think uh, several people helped uh, from my own unit. Uh, Sophia, uh, Sophia, she was uh, one of the uh, assistant nurse managers. Uh, uh, Laura, she was a senior head tech, uh, Lieben, uh, one of the other senior techs at that time, and uh, manager uh, at that time was Marcella. So we all jumped into the car and went every once a month uh, to that meeting. And uh, you may remember Cal Patel from Baylor. Yep. yep. And, uh, Cal was uh, probably one of the best educators you can find. He came. And Tom Slocum from uh, Boston Scientific. We started, and then a lot of others have joined along the way, and we met. Right. And uh, we were not sure, you know, how to develop a program. You know, we are not. We think we are educators, right? When we give a talk at a meeting, but <laughs> education is a lot more than that, you know. Yeah. So we fussed around, and I don't think community college took us seriously. Because for them, it's a big investment. <laughs> so, right, 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 yeah. yeah. So we met for almost uh, a year and a half before we finalized hmm. that we will do a, you have to do either one year or two years. We decided on one year because we're starting from scratch. And then we decided that we're going to have the classes in the evenings so that people can work during the day. Right. So Mondays and uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays for four hours, four hours, they me. And then we said uh, they'll have uh, 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 training, uh, simulation training in the community college and internships in the hospitals. 
So we came up with a 35 credit hour material. Okay. About 19 credits for just endoscopy based uh, infection control, technology, various procedures. Right. And our goal was by the time one finishes off, they should be good enough to assist in basic endoscopy in your day to day practice in an ambulatory surgical center or in a hospital and maybe have some skills in terms of ERCP, stone removal, or stem placement, right? or US with FNA. So that's where we stopped. You know, we cannot expand to all the subspecialists. Right, sub right. Yeah. right. Oh, yeah. Now, especially with all the other procedures that we're doing through right. space and bariatrics. Right, so. right. right. It's, a, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. And uh, we thought that the entry point will be a high school graduate. You know who has a 2.5 grade point average that's good enough to start a program right and uh so the problem came was the community college has no experience with endoscopy tech training material development right they don't have a clue right they don't so i was i was going through this and by this time i i've been working with uh, uh, a medical illustrator. Her name is Angela Deal. So you may have seen a lot of her illustrations. Uh, she used to be on faculty at UT Southwestern. And uh, her, during the financial crisis, they closed down the medical illustration school. Okay. Angela is an amazing illustrator, one of the best people that I've worked with. I've been working with her. And uh, around this time, around this time, Anderson was kind enough to give me the uh, John Stroland uh, Endowed Professorship and uh, Mr. Charles Butt, he has a big, the, you know, the HEB, which is a big, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, store. This is a stores, uh, a grocery store chain. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, I think, I'm, yeah. I'm, right. So he has a, a, a huge grant. So those grants have actually helped me to develop the uh, learning material. And I was struggling because, you know, to me, we can create material, but to create learning objectives, then learning material, then testing, you know, right. there is an art to it. You have to have an educator who can do that. You know, we are not trained for that, you know. Right, right. Right. So... Uh, my good friend, you know, you know uh, Suresh Chari uh, from yes. New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Suresh was uh, two years uh, senior to me at PGI, and I always looked up to him. And uh, uh, I met Suresh in uh, Milan at the you know uh, the UEGW or whatever that uh, European meeting. Okay. And I was just telling him this what I was doing. You know, we share, you know, what was happening in our lives and I shared. He said, uh, I have somebody for you. And he said, okay, uh, you you need an educator? I have somebody for you. So, and he told me about uh, Sanji Suresh, his daughter. Okay. And it's very interesting. Sanji is uh, graduated from WashU and she's a passionate teacher. And uh, when I say passionate, I've seen very few people who are that passionate about community service. So Sanji took uh, two years after college and worked for uh, uh, Teach for America, right? Teach for America, right? You okay. can volunteer for two years. And she taught math and science for the inner city schools of St. Louis. Okay. Right? And uh, she, she uh, prior to that, she taught uh, the kids in the slums of Delhi and as well as in uh, Sri Lanka. You know, she has, has the uh, passion for teaching and batting for the underprivileged. And I've never seen somebody like that. So she's also done her master's in education. And uh, so I actually reached out to Sanji and uh, I told Sanji, hey, Sanji, I hope you can join. And if you join, my goal is to create the material and I want to make it available for free 
to the community college, right? Because you know she is also interested in serving, right? You know. Right, 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 right. So Sanjay came on board, and uh, her goal was to work for two years and then go to medical school. So Sanjay, myself, and uh, Angela, you know how we worked. It's very interesting how we work the material. We never, the number of times I met Sanji was, I can count on one, on a couple of <laughs> two years. <laughs> because the COVID came. Right. COVID yeah. came and then we are all over the place. Yeah. So we worked on Google Slides. Okay. So all the material that we developed was the interaction of the Google Slides. Uh, myself, Sanji, and Angela, illustrator, yeah. educator, and an endoscopist. So we created the whole material, 19 credit hour material. And, uh, uh, you know, when you, you don't have time, you know, you know how busy you are, you know, so you don't have time. When COVID came, endoscopists have nothing to do. You know, we're just twiddling our thumbs. <laughs> right? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I spent a lot of time outside of my backyard that time. <laughs> so. Yes. So we created the material. And then I said to myself, these are students who need help. And community college may not have a, an educator who can teach them. So I decided, you know, given my background in video editing and putting uh, creating a lot of videos, I created like 170 videos of everything that an endoscopy technician should learn. Oh, OK. Right? So we gave that uh, entire material to the community college. But I have to also share with you something. When you work for a university, whatever work you develop is not yours. Right, it's theirs, yeah. You know, it's, it's it, you know, it's, it's uh, the University of Texas owns that, right? And uh, uh, the leadership of MD Anderson, and that is uh, Dr. Peter Pistos, the president, the chief academic officer, that is uh, Dr. Karen, uh, uh, Karen, I forgot her last name, <laughs> you know, the chief, uh, chief academic officer and also uh, Diane Badurka, she was also in charge of education. They actually gave the permission to give the material to the community college for free. Because once you own this, and you know, institutions want to yeah. make money out of it. Absolutely. <laughs> so I think that's uh, that's uh, how we developed. But we couldn't start the program in 2020 because of the COVID yeah. hospitals did not allow anybody. So we started in 2021. And uh, uh, interestingly, many institutions in the medical center have signed contracts with the community college so that the students could come and do hands-on training. Right. So the first batch graduated 2021. And uh, we actually recruited out of 12, uh, four of them. Wow. Right. And uh, in 2022, uh, again, uh, another batch graduated. So it's a very interesting uh, uh, a journey because I feel that when you go to the endoscopy unit, if you're working in a big center with multiple rooms, lots of endoscopy technicians, right? You know, I whenever I go to start my day, I'm looking into my room to see who my technician <laughs> for that day, you're right? Either you have it, uh, you have a great day, or you're going to have a tough day. Depending <laughs> on day. No, that's 100% true. So uh, I feel that, you know, it's like uh, I keep telling the students in the community college. This is what I tell them that. As a surgeon and a surgical tech, surgical tech is retracting and giving the instruments to the surgeon. Surgeon does the cut, surgeon does everything. But in endoscopy, the roles are reversed. You yeah. as an endoscopist take the device and they are doing the cut. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah. I, I mean, this uh, this journey, I mean, it's truly, truly a labor of love, as as they say. And I mean, it, obviously, 
several challenges and pandemic being the biggest one. But what were like, um, like, was there any resistance that you faced along the way? I, I know that you, you mentioned you had a lot of support from the chief academic officer and the, but what were some of the, uh, did you have any resistance from anybody or, and not, not to name people, but just in general, were there any problems with that? No, I think uh, one thing is, uh, you know, if you think about it, like endoscopist, right? If you think about an endoscopist, endoscopist is different from a physician. Yeah. Endoscopists want to see the results immediately. Right. You want to cut cut the sphincter and see the stone out. Right. <laughs> the physician is managing the blood pressure for several years. You know, there is a difference in the mindset of a physician versus an endoscopist. Right. Endoscopist is more like a surgeon. Right. He wants to see results immediately. So when you take up a project like this, I think you need to have a lot of patience. Yeah, that's for sure. And uh, the second one is when you take up a project, I'm taking up the, a project. I took up this project without somebody mandating that you should do it. Right. Yeah. And uh, I have no, no clout with the community college. I'm just a foreigner there. You know what right. so I'm not part of a community college, and uh, it's important to really work with people and develop the trust and uh, make sure that you respect people for what they bring to the table, because everybody brings something different to the table. And, uh, and you have to have patience, because when we went through this, Community college cannot start a program unless whatever you, we as the advisory board developed and finalized, it has to go to the community college governing board. Right. They have to say yes. And then you have to go to Southern Association of Colleges and Schools. It's called SACS. Unless the SACS approves, Community college in Texas and southern states cannot start a program. Right, it's not a uh, a program that is uh, uh, approved, right? Uh, and then you also have to get it approved by the Texas Board of Higher Education. So all these things take a long time. It's like from 2015 or 16 to 2021. It took about six, seven years. Yeah, no, I did. Yeah. <laughs> And, and for your first two classes that have graduated, like you mentioned the first batch was 12. Um, and did all 12 find employment? Uh, yes. Really? So, and, and they're still so sticking? We had about 13 students join in the first batch. Mm -hmm. One dropped off. I wish I'd known the reason. So if you think about it, in all of them, all students were working full time. Right. In the daytime, they were working. And then the evening, they were coming to the class twice a week, four hours, four hours. Mm -hmm. And then when they have an internship, one day of the week for the first semester, two days of the week in the second semester, they're working in the hospitals. Right. All right. And uh, our, the fee for community college for this program is about $4,000. And uh, I've learned a lot by working with this program because I also... Uh, appreciated that uh, how tough it is for a lot of people because all of them applied for financial aid right right you know we we are so far removed from a lot of those things you know I wish uh, hospitals and uh, big ambulatory surgical centers could put some resources into the community college so that education is easier on some people uh, I think it's important to keep that thing in mind Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, for somebody who can get that uh, support uh, for $4,000 and get an education, you are starting a career for somebody. Absolutely. And I, and I think, I mean, we see examples of that uh, locally here where our, a couple of our hospital systems will pay for um, technicians to go to nursing school, for example. Mm -hmm. But the, gear, the requirement is that they'll pay for a certain percentage or maybe even all of it, but then you have to... Re work uh, a certain number of years for the institution after you graduate. And I think 
if something is costing between four to ten thousand dollars, I mean, obviously we don't know what it would cost in different cities. I could see local hospitals because they are so um, it's so difficult for them to recruit and re retain endoscopy right. technicians. I could see them paying for the full course for somebody with the promise that that person would work for X number of years afterwards. You know, and right. Right. and I th I think that's that's a, the best kind of financial aid, especially if you you know if you enjoy working in that place. So right. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, in, you know, you asked about uh, difficulties. I, uh, I think uh, when you start a program like this, obviously what happens is the people who come to the meetings on a regular basis have their heart right. in that. You know, they're, they're educators. They like to do other things. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, of all the people, uh, I give a lot of credit to Cal. Cal Patel from Baylor, and uh, Tom Slocum, uh, who was a Boston Scientific uh, Regional Manager. You know, he has actually, we had tough time to have funds to buy the equipment. Right. right? Uh, you know, if you think about uh, endoscopy equipment for a community college, it's $100,000. You know, it's yeah, not a lot of money. So Tom was kind enough to bring a lot of uh, uh, expired items from different places and give it to the students uh, or give it to the school uh, for them to practice. A lot of uh, people have actually, others also helped. And uh, when you make it like a team effort, right, things work out. Yeah, work out. yeah absolutely. I mean, I mean, yeah, I mean, the motivation has to be there. And right. obviously, you know, you're doing it the first time, it's, you know, right. starting from scratch. This, I didn't realize all the little steps that have to, you know, you, you, as you hear about this, it's like, oh, I'll just go to my community college and say, let's start a course. You know, <laughs> it obviously doesn't work that way. So yeah. no, that's, that's... The thing is, uh, if you say, like, say, for example, in Arizona, you want to say, I want to help my community college develop a program. Now it is very easy. Uh, there is a... A blueprint, right? Right, and uh, Houston Community College will be happy to share whatever they need to know to make it happen. You know, at the end of the day, you know, educators are here to educate. Right. You know, you know it's uh, uh, it's now very easy to do that. Uh, and the second thing is the the whole program, educational program. Uh, that we developed, we gave it to the community college for free, right? And uh, we want others to use that material and and benefit from that. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that's. Well, congratulations on that. I mean, I think that's you know that's one of the more fascinating things that we've heard. Um, you mentioned that ASGE is going to be doing something with. Yes. The yes. I think you know if you think about ASGE, right? We have we just uh, celebrated a few years ago eight-year history, and uh, we have actually until now uh, spent a lot of time and resources. The society has spent a lot of time and resources in training for uh, endoscopists, you know, uh, as either fellows or after fellowship, different things. And also, she has been responsible for pushing the boundary, right? Developing the members of the society. But along the way, what's happening is we are all suffering because if you don't have the right team, you can't do this in the long run. You know, yeah. so you lose a trained technician, you you're stuck. So <laughs> the, the leadership has actually the governing board took a big decision uh, two years ago to create associate membership for technicians. So all my technicians from MD Anderson joined uh, ASG as associate members. Uh, and uh, I think the membership is like $100 per year or something like that, right? Uh, and uh, I want to also share here that my president, Dr. Pistos, uh, uh, approved us to give the entire learning material that we developed to the for the community college uh, to the ASG as well. Oh, so, wow. so ASG has built a separate website just for the technicians. 
and wow. they have access to the all the learning material you know uh, all the lesson plans all the videos everything is there and uh, for the last two years what we have done is a group of us uh, got together and uh, created a question bank uh, about 400 questions plus to develop the ASG tech certification okay so the society comes up with a certification and uh, we are right now basically testing right you know we are, you have to do a lot of pilot tests to figure out how that uh, 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 test is working and uh, we have already uh, deployed it to the first batch of the community college students uh, and they did okay not the best um, <laughs> not the best Partly because you know they didn't, uh, they were tested after several months after they graduated. Once you graduate, your material, you know. The second batch uh, that graduated in May uh, from the community college, 100% of them passed. The pass mark is 75%. So all of them passed. Okay. Right. And uh, we're also, uh, uh, the society wants later this year, or maybe in the near future, want to create a national certification uh, so that the techs get recognized, right? Right now, there's no recognition. If you go to your HR and say, I have this fine, fantastic tech, this guy is going to go to McDonald's to work, I want to keep him. The HR says, I can't help you because I can't see a certificate that I right. can put my uh, hat on, right? Right. So this ACA certificate uh, may be helpful. I think uh, that is something we all need to do. You know, how do we? Uh, we are helpless when we lose a technician. You know, just, right? It's uh, so. So, do you see this ASG national certificate replacing a community college education, or do you see that being both things have to be done? How, how do you envision this kind of playing out in the future? So. The thing is, uh, there are a couple of things, right? Uh, this is an area that we are slowly trying to develop, right? Uh, and uh, I wish I could say, hey, I know the future. Right. <laughs> uh, the reason to uh, share everything with AAC is, you know, AAC is the premier society. We all are connected to AAC one way or the other. And it's much easier for the central society to have access to the material so that the members could benefit. Right. Right. You know, you know it's much easier because they all connect with AAC and the AAC can say, hey, this is, these are the resources. If you leave it in the community college, it's very hard for our members. Right. right. The second one is uh, uh, Right now, all the students of the community college, once they finish, they also take the AAC certificate test so that they have something. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping that the society and our members actually work together to give recognition to the technician for the skills that they bring to the table so that they are compensated for the skills that they bring to the table. Right now, we have no way to do that. Yeah, right. and, and that's a double-edged sword, right? If you look at the business aspect of medicine, I mean, I think from all of us want our hospital technicians to be certified because you want the hospital to compensate them appropriately. But on the flip side, uh, you know, for people who own ambulatory surgical centers, that's an added cost to them, that if you have a certified technician, um, and it may turn out that you end up with two pathways. You go a non-certified job, but then you live with the fact that you won't have people for more than six months to a year or you everybody gets certified but i i think i don't think there'll be resistance i just think it's an interesting kind of thing yeah. to consider you know right so th actually it's very interesting that you share that uh, thought uh to, to, to me the uh i i don't know the right answer but uh i i feel that having somebody who knows what he's doing and is happy that he's getting compensated well and is not looking for a job the moment he comes to your job to your facility. Yeah. It's a big plus. Uh, and uh, I, I want to share with you also this. 
lot of times we don't realize how much of wastage is there in the endoscopy unit because the guy picks up the right the wrong instrument he opens with two hundred dollars gone yeah and uh uh i actually i didn't share this at my at the dw talk i know because of time constraints the week the three weeks before i gave the talk uh one of the graduates of the community college uh, her name is uh, uh miss dang uh, sharpest uh, graduates and uh, she worked for the first time do a large EMR and the procedure went as if I was working with a very seasoned technician right right and it's also interesting that I said okay let's do the APC right I do the APC of the just routinely and she said what type of catheter do you need she didn't just pick up whatever is there Right, she knew to ask. <laughs> right, because I've actually had times when somebody picked up a side-firing APC catheter, which is not ideal for APC of the ages. Right, and uh, that is three hundred. I don't know how much is an APC catheter—three hundred, four hundred dollars. It's right. just you cannot use it again. No, or, right. or when, you, when you have a technician open the wrong uh, metal stent for an ERCP. Right. Right. <laughs> That's a two thousand dollar mess up. So. <laughs> but the other thing is, I'll put it this way: is we all compensate quite a bit for not having uh, enough uh, well-trained people around us. Physicians to compensate, right? They can still get the job done because they compensate for certain things. But there is a there is a an amount of unmeasured stress when you're trying to compensate for somebody's weaknesses because you have to focus on not only this you have to focus on your right hand which is a little bit on the weak side right right versus you have a exceptionally trained technician you're like uh in a, on a cruise mode from your, your life is super easy with a wonderful is, you know what's the price we pay for that right right Right, hundred percent, and I, I, I think, I think it's, I, I agree with you because I do think we have to have this certification, and I, and I think we want standard, you know, for patient care we want standardization, and then for these people who are doing this, you want them to be compensated to the same that somebody with a degree in surgical technology or technician up, upstairs or in the OR is doing because. Like you said at the very beginning, you know, endoscopy is surgery, and 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 you know, with all the developments, we need people who can really give us that quality that they're getting at the OR. And you know, I, I think it's, it, I think we have to do this, and I think we need to support it. And um, I'll be very interested in looking up through the ASGEs how that progresses because I think it's something that we all who you know participate should be bringing this uh, locally to our cities. One thing I, I notice is uh, I want to hear your thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. uh, say, for example, you know, right now we have quite a few turnover of uh, technicians to the point that we are working with travel tax. Yeah. Okay. And uh, uh, the travel tax has some basic skill set, not necessarily the skill set that you would like to. Uh, have in your technician because they're not exposed to they're exposed to a certain amount of uh, type of practices right and uh, it's uh, when somebody new comes to your lab you have to put in a lot of resources to train that person right yeah. now the model is you have to put in six weeks or whatever time to train a technician right right, right. and uh, yeah. We are having a problem of a rapid turnover. Right. Every place across the country, is, there's turnover. Every place. Right. right. Okay. If you say, "Hey, I want," and there is a there is amount there is a cost to that that we really don't we have not measured yet. Right. Right. Uh, on the other hand, if we invest and make sure that the people are fully trained and ready to work. There's a big difference. Hundred percent. The other thing is, like, uh, if you are 
like say for example you are a busy endoscopist right you expect the hospital and endoscopy center to give you the right team to do the job right you don't yeah. have time to sit down and teach them right right you don't have time to teach them right. and uh, when you can't teach them they will they can be with you for 5 years but they don't understand why the heck they're doing whatever they're doing right but having a an, an education to learn why they're doing whatever there some of them are very smart they're, they're smarter than uh, physicians right they can actually uh, play a big role uh, yeah no i i i agree completely and i i think you know uh we don't know what the cost is because you're right it hasn't been measured but if i think through my personal experience when i've had a non untrained tech or a new tech uh, I'm probably doing two or three less cases a day. Um, probably number one, uh, maybe I'm doing an ERCP and the technician is new and they're not really up to par or up to snuff, as they say. And maybe if it's an unsuccessful ERCP, I'm not spending the extra 30 minutes to get into the bio. Like maybe I'm quitting earlier because I know that tomorrow or the day after I'll have a trained technician. Right. So that's one. Right. And I think um, when they're not able to set up the scopes efficiently, on especially on inpatient side, you know, the team needs to go home by a certain time. And, you know, if it's a simple colonoscopy or EGD that could be safely pushed to the next day in the interest of getting everybody home, um, I think that would happen at least one or two cases if you have somebody slowing you down because they don't know what to do. And then we forget that when a technician is new and they you ask them, say, give me a rat tooth forcep, right? They may not know what that means. And then they have to run out the room, find somebody, uh, because they're scared to ask the doctor or right. the, anybody in the room. So they have to go find the other technician. A, what is a rat tooth forcep? B, where is a rat tooth forcep? C, how do I use it? And that in itself adds five minutes to a simple procedure. So I think there's definitely lost time and lost uh, procedural volume. So I, I think, you know, if you have a standardized training like you're mentioning, then, you know, just like tomorrow, if you, you know, tomorrow if I take a locum job and, and I decide to go work in a small city in Arizona or Texas, mm -hmm. the, the hospital won't notice a huge difference in terms of EGDs and colonoscopies because what the previous guy and what I'm doing are very similar. And I think the same thing would apply that if a technician leaves for me and goes work somewhere else, they should be able to walk in on day one after getting an orientation to where everything, the, the map of the center, and be able to do exactly what your previous technician did, maybe with small variations, but I think that's what it should be. And that's why I agree with you. Standardization is where we have to go. Right, right. I think we as the members of the endoscopy society, I say when I say as, as gastroenterologists, as endoscopists, uh, we have the responsibility of putting in the time and resources and effort to build our teams. Absolutely. So uh, a lot of times, you know, you know, when you are a therapeutic endoscopy fellow, you probably had the best technicians working in the advanced endoscopy center. Oh, yeah. And you go out, you know, you may not have the same type of uh, uh, personnel assisting. No, it, it's it's very true, and and you know, and it's not that you're getting bad people at your new place. It's just that you're getting undertrained people, you know, and 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 uh, and but it makes your life, you know, your cannulation rate doesn't drop from whatever ninety plus percent to eighty percent because you're a bad endoscopist. It, it's it's a team effort. You maybe it's your technician. It could also be your anesthesia. It could be everything there, but um, the there is a drop off when you leave the. And, and I hate this term, but people use it, the ivory towers, and, and you go into the community, you know, so. But, Actually, well, I want yeah. to share one thing. It's very yeah. interesting comment that uh, my good friend uh, Suresh Shari made just last week. Uh, he said, I was working with this uh, top-notch technician, and uh, this is something that I've not done uh, recently uh, for a and uh, she actually helped me get the procedure done successfully. And he said, uh, an excellent endoscopist can work with a, a weak technician, can get the job done. And an excellent technician can also help 
relatively weak endoscopist. <laughs> 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 yeah. <laughs> That's what I mean. So it's a team, you know. Yeah. One compliments the other. <laughs> well, thank, well, thank you so much um, uh, for for your time. Um, it's a Saturday for anybody who's interested in knowing. So you know, just to be able to dedicate this much time uh, to me, I, I'm I'm super appreciative, and thank you so much for that. Um, before we end the podcast, a couple of things that I um, routinely say at the end of each of my podcasts. Number one is, and I think your your talk highlights the importance of this. If you're not a member of ASGE or any of the societies, really get involved, join, volunteer, serve them, and, and help make a difference for everything that we do. And then the final thing is, I always say something about mental health is, um, you know, there's always, uh, every week, there's a physician suicide in the United States. And so if you are struggling, please reach out to your friends, colleagues, family, and just, you know, try to work through those issues and, and get help. So. And with that, thank you, everybody. That's uh, the episode of um, the Interventional Endoscopist Podcast. And